Welcome to Restart Radio, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we do not focus on the new shiny shiny things to buy. We focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. Our monthly community electronics repair events here in London are just the beginning. My name is Ugo Vallauri from the Restart Project, and I'm joined today by my colleague Neil Mather. Hello. Great to have you back, Neil. So today we are talking about a topic that might seem a bit scary at first, and it's that of personal data, how to make the most of our own data online and on the devices that we use, and what precautions should we take in order to... Uh, not being tracked, or simply to be able, when uh, we decide that we want to get rid of a device, we want to sell it on or pass it on, donate it, or simply because we have to have it repaired so that we can feel safe about it. And part of what we'll be discussing today has been inspired by reading a recent uh, research by uh, a survey done by company called Repic, which is the UK's largest uh, producing compliance scheme of uh, waste electrical and electronic products, which highlighted that uh, a lot of people are uh, hanging on to devices and as opposed to uh, get rid of them, recycling them and doing the right environmental thing because their fears of uh, how to process their personal data. So you have a phone. This is going to sound familiar to everyone who's listening. You have a phone. For whatever reason, you decide that you want to move on and you would like to give it up and give it to someone else or perhaps selling it back, but you don't trust that the company you might give it to or the individual um, is accessing a completely clean device. So there might still be some personal data. Uh, it's certainly happened to me before. And it's not that I don't want to get rid of a device, but it takes time, effort. And I bet, Neil, you had similar experiences as well. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think one of the good things to do in that case is you can do a factory reset and you can you can clear a lot of the information off there before you do try and um, take it somewhere else for it to be reused or, or repaired, etc. And, and yet, uh, speaking to recyclers in the past, uh, I've learned that at times they get hold of devices uh, that could be reused. Uh, this applies to Apple devices, for example, and because the individual who previously owned that product didn't uh, disassociate that device from their uh, iCloud account where all the copies of files are stored, that device will never be reusable by another person until the original owner unlocks that feature in their own service. So it's it's becoming more complicated in a sense as we don't just depend uh, on devices but also on cloud services and uh, interconnected devices as well. And so reading this research was quite telling. Uh, it seems that young people are most worried about the security of their private information. Apparently 76% of the 16 to 29 year olds 
that have been polled as part of this research, while people that are uh, older um, are less concerned and perhaps less informed about this topic. And uh, 69% of people questioned admitted to having concerns about their personal data being breached, and a third of them, in fact, admitted they were more likely to keep hold of old electricals as a consequence. Now, without getting too involved in immediately in what we should be doing when we get rid of a device, uh, we we are more in general concerned about how uh, software in our devices might be increasingly tracking us and potentially at times using more power and data than it should in order to do that, at times making our devices feel they're older and slower and in need of an upgrade when we don't necessarily need to. In order to explore some of these topics, actually, we had a really fun and uh, in instructive visit uh, last month to a wonderful exhibition called The Glass Room. Neil, can you tell us a bit more about that? Sure, yeah. <clears throat> so The Glass Room... Um, this was an event set up in central London. It was described as a pop-up tech store with a twist. Uh, and it was organised by Mozilla and a group called the, the Tactical Technology Collective. Um, so this was a space in central London. It was a physical uh, location that you could go into. And it looked in many ways similar to an Apple store. So you walk in, it's quite a, a sort of clean, white, uh, kind of shop-style experience. Um, there's items on pedestals that you can see. And so I guess the twist in this case was the fact that other than differently from when you go into an Apple store and it's uh, the latest shiny gadgets, which you can buy and you can play around with in the store. In this case, each of the, 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 the exhibits on display, the products on display in a sense, were um, something that made you think about your personal data, uh, your personal uh, data security and the privacy concerns around that. Um, and similarly to the Apple Store as well, they had something like the Genius Bar, except in this case it was called the Ingenious Bar. And these were people who knew about uh, personal data, personal data security, and you could ask them questions about how you could improve your own uh, personal data security. Yeah, I, I was immediately struck by, as you said, by how clean and uh, slick the experience was and how... Had you not known what this was about, you could have mistaken it for a shop, indeed. Except there was nothing on sale, uh, but there was a lot to take back home, not just uh, in terms of physical products, which we can talk about later, but also uh, especially advice and uh, provocations to help you think through some of our relationship with uh, the electronics in our daily life. Yeah. So we, we've seen a number of exhibitions and uh, I highly recommend that everyone checks out the Glassroom's website uh, where the whole complete list of exhibits uh, that were presented there uh, is available. But we picked a few that have inspired us to think a bit uh, more. And uh, so one of them, Neil, um, was this piece of work uh, commissioned by the Australian consumer rights organization Choice about how long does it take to read Amazon Kindle's terms and conditions? That's right, yeah. So I think this this particular piece was highlighting how 
Um, difficult it is sometimes to know in advance what when you sign up to a, an online service or you buy a product, um, what is going to be done with the information that is produced by your use of this service or this product. Um, so in this case, this was, as you said, so an actor reading through the terms and condi conditions for um, subscribing to an Amazon Kindle service. It was around 70,000 words long. Um, the total time taken uh, to read through those terms and conditions was eight hours and 59 minutes. So this is something which, as an individual, you, you just possibly, you can't do it yourself. Um, you're just going to scroll through, you're going to tick yes, I agree, and then you've kind of given away rights to your, your personal data. Yeah, and Choice created a, a video with an actor that read this for exactly eight hours and 59 minutes, which is a good reminder of when was it the last time that you ever read the terms and conditions of a service you're using? Uh, yeah. Probably never. I think it, it might be worth saying what we mean when we talk about personal data. Yeah. Um, so it's data that relates to an individual and specifically in this context and in the context of the glassroom, um, it's electronic information, information that's stored in an electronic form and that can be processed quite easily because it's stored electronically. Um, and when we talk about personal data, it's, it's things like, for example, your, your, it could be your search history, um, so what terms that you've searched for uh, when you're using a, a Google or Bing, for example, um, other things like your location history, places that you've been. So this is tracked with uh, GPS, for example, as you're walking around and your device might be tracking your location. Um, things that you've liked on Facebook, um, the purchases that you've made on Amazon or other sites, for example, this is all kind of information that is related to you as an individual. Uh, and I think when we talk about it, it's what we should really be thinking about is what data is being collected about us, who is collecting that data and who owns that data and what are they doing with it? And how aware or not are we that this is happening yeah. exactly as we use uh, any of our preferred uh, devices or services or both? There's multiple dimensions of this. And uh, so one example that I quite liked that was fairly provocative to me was to see this gigantic encyclopedia-like, um, which is a project called Forgot Your Password from artist Aram Bartold, uh, which is about giving like a physical manifestation to the 4.6 million passwords that were leaked in the hack of the professional networking site LinkedIn in 2012. And I actually took the time and looked for the password that I think I was <laughs> using back at the time. And I'm not entirely sure that the exact password was there, but it was kind of fascinating to see how many similar passwords to the one I had used were there. And so how potentially it's possible to kind of reverse engineer uh, a lot more if you start associating accounts uh, with the email behind them and the password leaked. Or perhaps just having this database of possible options uh, makes it easier to search for other matches in other platforms. Yeah, and I think it raises an important point against uh, security of personal data because people may say, well, I'm, I'm not too bothered if Google knows what my location is. Maybe they could potentially use it to provide me with a, a good service. Um, but the problem is, is that there are these online data breaches. So 
the data that you provide to one company might end up in the hands of uh, another organization, for example, when they're take one organization is taken over by another one and then the data moves from company to company or even worse as in the case with linkedin uh the data is just opened to the wider internet and then anyone can access that anyone can download that big dump of passwords and personal information and then your personal data might be in the hands of criminals so this is obviously even if you're not too concerned about what organizations are doing with it you probably are concerned about what criminal organizations could be doing with it Absolutely. Another layer of this is what kind of use is made of uh, information about people and their location. And uh, there was a fairly disturbing project uh, by artist Joanna Moll called The Border Interfaced. And uh, this refers uh, to a real project that happened uh, a few years ago, between 2008 and 2012, where a company called Texas Virtual created a project called Border Watch, a public-private partnership between the startup Blue Servo and the state of Texas, which had an online platform advertising the chance to take part in a so-called virtual stakeouts, where visitors had free access to live feeds over 200 cameras and sensors monitoring the border with Mexico, with apparently more than 200,000 volunteer users logging in remotely and were being encouraged to report suspicious activity that they notice, clicking a red button, which could report whether a migrant was trying to pass the border. And this disturbing piece of art was actually allowing you to replay that mm -hmm. and seeing probably realistic footage of people trying to do something similar. I don't know if the footage was authentic, but you know, at a time when migration is a huge topic and we see what will happen potentially now if the same project was happening 10 years, eight years later, I'd, I'm worried about what's actually happening on the ground for real. Yeah. And I think it highlights that there's kind of different levels of access to privacy or, or security over your personal data. So migrants, for example, might not have the same uh, ability to keep their information private as other individuals might. Uh, another exhibit which highlighted this, I think, at, at the glass room was the there was a, a model of Mark Zuckerberg's house. And this was fascinating because it showed how he had purchased the four surrounding houses around his own house in order to give himself privacy. And even, I believe, the uh, contractors who had worked on the construction of his house had been asked to sign non-disclosure agreements to say they wouldn't reveal anything about what was inside his house. Um, and given that Facebook, which Mark Zuckerberg obviously created and owns, is one of the biggest kind of harvesters of people's personal information, this was this was uh, quite fascinating that he'd done this. Um, even the fact that in 2010 he, he, he apparently declared that the age of privacy was over and that privacy was no longer a social norm. But for him, uh, with the ability to buy up houses around him, he obviously thinks that personal uh, privacy is important. So I think it highlights that is it we don't want to get into a state where uh, personal data security and privacy is only available to those who can pay money. Um, and it kind of links into the 
issue with Google and Facebook collecting personal information about people where it's quite often said that if you're not paying for a product, then you are the product. So if you're getting a service for free from a commercial company, they're usually harvesting some information about you in order to have a commercial benefit off the back of that. Good thing you mentioned Google, or should we now call it Alphabet, as in the big company that also owns the Google empire, but a lot more. And at the Glassroom, we saw a fascinating visualization of all of their empire of acquisitions and uh, investments into all kinds of companies. Uh, So since 1998, Google uh, has acquired more than 180 companies and invested in a further 400, uh, expanding in all directions, obviously mobile uh, with Android, YouTube, uh, connected products like Nest, The Body, 23andMe, which is a very... uh, questionable service Mm. but self-driving cards and the world's largest library what i find fascinating is google is investing in its own self-driving cars and at the same time has invested heavily in companies like uber and uh, is also investing or considering investing in lyft so it's basically the tentacles of these organizations are reaching everywhere and so the role that we play in enabling them to have access to an unlimited amount of information about our personal lives needs to be put in this wider context of what else is happening within the range of businesses that they have an interest or a huge um, direct uh, ownership exactly yeah i think the the 23 and me uh, example is you know particularly disturbing that like do you want google um, to know what your dna sequence is for example and to be able to correlate uh, correlate that with all the other information that they hold about you and still on the topic of health and this is the last example uh and we'll move to more promising solutions or advice after um was another provocative piece of art uh, displayed at Glassroom called Unfit Bits by Tega Brain and Surya Matu, which reflects or has an interesting twist on the information that uh, devices like our Fitbits and other trackers um, collect and how uh, that device relies uh, on tracking information about when and how you move, whether you exercise or not. And there's some implications about connecting this with potentially the offering of health insurance companies and beyond. And I'm sure most of you traveling in the London underground have seen special offers where uh, all kinds of smartwatches are offered for free or almost for free if you subscribe to a health insurance provided that then you keep healthy and you do tons of exercising and you'll never pay for that Apple Watch or whatever else it is. Mm. But what does this data actually mean? Um, In the Unfit Bits project, uh, attaching one of these devices to the wheel of your bicycle or um, a metronome is an act of resistance against this massive leak of data that we don't necessarily we aren't necessarily aware 
of and showing that we can populate with not exactly accurate data um, all these databases. What did you think of that? Yeah, I, I, like, I quite like that idea of kind of obfuscating the data that's collected about you. Um, like you say, with putting the Fitbit on the, the wheel of your bike, so it's just putting out spurious data rather than the company being able to, to track the, the real data. And there were other examples of that as well. One of the ingenious uh, staff at the Glassroom recommended to me um, uh, browser extensions which you can install, which as you are going about your normal um, internet browsing activity, and searching in Google, for example, they will also send out from your machine um, kind of spurious search terms. So there's, they can't actually build up this pattern of information about you because it's filled in with all of this random information as well. So that's one approach to kind of taking some control of your personal data. Great. <laughs> You are listening to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM, and we're discussing personal data and what we can do to keep as much control as we can uh, about it. So, Neil, your experience at Glassroom uh, was telling also for some of the advice you received, and uh, I believe you're in progress of going through a data detox adventure. I did. I started uh, a data detox. So at the Glassroom, they were giving away kits um, which provided information about how to undergo an, an eight-day data detox. Um, so this is full of uh, steps which you can take to take uh, a bit more um, control over your personal data. And first of all, to find out what information is being collected about you and what do various companies know about, about you and your personal data. Um, so they have uh, simple steps like just doing a search on Google, for example, and finding for your name and finding out what results come back or what images come back. And then you can potentially uh, try and get those images or information removed. Um, other great pieces of information like uh, a, a service which Google provides called um, myactivity.google.com. And this is actually Google themselves providing you with uh, a list of all of the pieces of data. I say all of the pieces of data, all of the data that they're prepared to let you know that they know about you. It may not be everything that they do know, but this is the, the data that they show to you they've been collecting about you. And it will be things like uh, your search history, the apps that you're using, um, other quite scary pieces of information. So I, I went on to myactivity.google.com and I thought I'd turned off uh, most of these tracking uh, things. So you can turn off your search history, you can turn off location services so they're not following you around. But still, uh, I discovered that there are actually voice recordings of me, which they had in a, somehow had uh, been recorded without my consent in a way. I had not actually decided to record this particular piece of uh, sound. So it was a snippet from uh, a, a voice call, which I was making a, a VoIP call. And within the Google uh, data history for me, there was a very small snippet of that conversation, completely out of context. I can only assume maybe I'd triggered the, the Google personal assistant that you can speak to in order to get information back from. Could it, could it be that you said 
okay, comma, That's what Google. I, yeah. Not meaning, okay, Google, start listening to me. But I guess it, it's revealing of something that we know, but we tend to forget that they are listening. And uh, more often than not, they might be collecting information that we're not particularly keen to, to share. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and the Data Detox Kit is all about this. So finding out about the information that is stored on you, discovering why it's being recorded about you in the first place and how you can stop it from being collected um, and knowing which organizations are uh, holding this data as well. Well, uh, we also learned this recently that from the beginning of 2017, Android phones have been collecting the addresses of nearby cellular towers, even when location services are disabled and sending that data back to Google. Basically, knowing a lot more than you might think about where you and your phone are. And this has been confirmed after an investigation done by Quartz uh, magazine. And, uh, and Google admitted that this was the case. And guess what? As a result, they are phasing this out. Allegedly, it's been taken care of as of the end of November. And I found data that I thought wasn't being collected about a visit 11 months ago to a store uh, in central London uh, when I looked for where what's the address of that place. And yeah, it's fairly discomforting to know that that information is collected even when you think you're doing the right thing. Mm. And um, we also saw something else interesting on a completely different um, level at, um, at Glassroom. We were handed out uh, a card uh, protector, something that you put your contactless card in and makes it impossible to be um, used to extract unwillingly uh, money, in this case, from your card. And so even if you're trying to enter the underground or use it to pay anything, if it's inside this special plastic container, it makes it impossible uh, to do it, which is an interesting reflection of what about when it's not into such container? Like how often uh, you might be at risk of having data, or in this case, money uh, taken from your uh, debit card? Yeah, I, I think uh, it, in general it highlighted just the importance of being aware of the fact that data is being leaked about yourself in many different ways, uh, in many different situations, and just. I think it was to encourage people to know that this is happening and to think about how they can uh, be more aware of it and what they can do about it. One uh, simple thing that we recommend people should try is, well, two actually. One is diversify the way you search for information and perhaps give a go to DuckDuckGo, which is a search engine that does not track you in any way and you don't need to log in and... Uh, you, it's really good and it works on your mobile and on desktop computers. And there is a new version of the Firefox browser that Mozilla has developed called Fire, Firefox Focus, which is designed specifically for a mobile phone and makes it really easy to delete any trace of what you've been searching and making it easier to, to be in control of your data. Uh, and it's also much faster than other browsers and very uh, uses very little memory, which is a concern at times. 
Yeah, there's, there's different approaches. Yeah, so one is to simply try and stop using these services. Uh, it's not always possible, but you can do it. For example, like you said, don't use Google for search. Use something like DuckDuckGo or other alternatives. Um, I recently closed down my Facebook account. So Facebook is no longer tracking me, at least through the, my own information. They may be somehow doing it through other people that I know. Um, so, yeah, there's various different ways in which you can try and protect the information. And if you still do need to use these services, then at least have a look at the privacy settings and try and find out what is being collected about you. And one last piece of advice, uh, we recommend you check out the project called Privacy Not Included by Mozilla, which is a buying guide uh, for connected devices, making it really easy to understand which ones offer, by default, better privacy settings. There's a lot more, and it's an ongoing search, and so uh, we'll be sharing more as we learn. Meanwhile, we are at the end of today's show, and we'd like to... Uh, point you to upcoming restart parties. There's uh, one more restart party in Sadok here in uh, South London happening this Saturday from uh, 12 to 3 at uh, 3 Space, where Restart's office is based, and one happening in Leicester at the local hack space from 1 to 4 uh, this Saturday. Thank you for listening, and you can find more information at therestartproject.org, at Restart Project on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.